just that. Okay, the story week two. Here we go. This is, this is awesome. I'm excited about the story. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the story, there's a bunch of them on that table. Um, I know that uh, it, you know, I don't like to take things. I want to leave that for someone else. Listen, we got that for you, okay? We want you to take that. So feel free to grab one of those on your way out. Uh, Brandy's family is a puzzle family. Uh, they do a lot of family gatherings, like the whole, uh, the whole family gets together, like 30, 40 people in the household. Uh, it's a real marathon if you're an introvert who married in, uh, let me tell you. One of the things that happens at their gatherings, which are many, uh, is that quite often they'll have like a community puzzle, right? It's just there on the table, people work on it intermittently throughout the weekend or uh, what feels like the year. Uh, of the entire event. Does anybody else do that? Does anybody else have community puzzles in your house? Okay, I got a couple of you. A couple of you got really bold. Marsha, I appreciate that. I saw your hand go like this. Uh, she, got, she got bold there. Um, so they'll do that. And uh, one time I decided to spend, hey, I'm going to get the puzzle started. So I said, hey, where are the puzzles? I'm going to go get one. And I got pointed down the hall to a closet. And uh, I found something in there that looked like this. This is a puzzle in a Ziploc bag. This particular puzzle was not, the box was nowhere to be found. It was just a puzzle in a Ziploc bag. Now this isn't the actual one, that one's obviously in the box. Um, but it was just a massive puzzle pieces, probably at least 500 puzzle pieces in the Ziploc bag. And there was a whole bunch of them that were like that. Um, the problem is I have no idea what the puzzle is, right? Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the box? It's almost entirely useless. What am I supposed to do with this? It's just a bag full of puzzles. Okay, uh, this is why we're going through the story, because that's exactly what the Bible is like if you don't have a sense of the big picture. Um, things like uh, Ephesians 2.10, one of the most significant verses in the Bible in my life. It says that we are God's masterpiece, and he's recreated us through Christ to do the good works, to do the good things that he's planned for us to do. It, it tells me that I'm his masterpiece, and he has a plan for me, but I have no idea what that looks like if I don't understand the big story. If I don't understand what he's like, to, he's like and what he's up to overall. And so that's why we're doing the story. It's the Bible. Uh, if you open it up and look at it, it's scripture, but it's rearranged chronologically. Uh, the redundancies are, are taken out. For example, uh, there are places in the Bible where two books tell the same story. Uh, you don't read it twice. It's, uh, it's rearranged in that way to help us over understand the overarching narrative. So, that's really why we're doing the story. So I'm asking you to do three things, three really simple things. One, you're crushing the first one. Be here. Uh, show up. Because if you, if you miss a few weeks, uh, it's going to be hard to fill in some of the holes uh, if you grab every fourth or fifth uh, talk, every fourth or fifth conversation. So, uh, so to the best of your ability, try to be here and participate in that. Uh, the second one is grab a copy. Uh, it's 31 chapters. So the Bible's broken up. The narrative of the Bible is broken up into 31 pieces. Uh, every week we'll just talk about some kind of high-level scenario from that chapter. But to get all the details, you really got to really read it. So grab a copy. We have that for you. And the third thing is lead your family. One of the things that I am aware of is that if I don't help my children know Jesus, nobody else is going to come along and do it for me. Uh, nobody else is going to have to give account for that. Uh, that's, that's my responsibility, but it's also my privilege uh, to do that. I, was, uh, I have a little blog. I don't know, some of you maybe follow that. If you went onto our staff page uh, on the website, you could see that. Uh, I was getting something ready to post uh, this coming week, and it was about um, helping our kids become independent. And this, this is just something that I, I wrote in there, and I thought, wow, that sounds really smart. I must have heard that from somebody else. Uh, this is one of the things I wrote. I said, 
I'm slowly but surely transitioning my kids from being dependent on me to being dependent on God. This transition is perhaps the most critical task I'll ever undertake in this lifetime. Helping my kids transition from being dependent on me to being dependent on God. So, so lead your family through the story. There's actually age-appropriate versions of it, uh, all the way from like pre-K. Uh, you can jump on Amazon and, and grab one of those. Ava O'Hare has one of them. Hold them up. Hold that up for me, girl. She's got one. Yes. So she's crushing it. Uh, she's got them all handled, actually. She's here. She's got a copy. She's leading herself. Uh, maybe she's leading mom and dad. So uh, way to go. Yeah. So do these three things. All right. Last week was week one, uh, the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and he declared it all to be good. And really, the components of a great story set up last week. God created everything, and however you theorize that that, that, that happened, whatever that looks like uh, in your mind's eye, the first four words of the Bible are the logical foundation for everything that comes next, okay? If the first four words, in the beginning, God, if those first four words are true, uh, they don't prove that everything after them is true, but if they are true, then everything that comes after it makes sense. Everything that comes after it falls into place. Like the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But if the, in the beginning God, then it's okay. Then you have a logical foundation to jump from. God created everything and he created, created it good. But pretty quickly the antagonist comes along. Satan comes in and he does this three-step process that he always does in our lives with Adam and Eve. The first thing he did is he questioned what God said. Uh, did God really say... Don't eat the fruit from the tree. I mean, is that really what he meant, right? Have you ever heard someone trying to like justify and reinterpret scripture to like be okay with what they want to do? Uh, did God really say that if you eat that fruit, you'll die? And the next thing he does is he denies it. After he questions it, he denies it. Hey, did God really say that you'll die? I don't think you're going to die. You won't die. You're not going to die. And then he reverses the whole thing. Did God really say don't eat it? No, you're not going to die. In fact, God actually knows that you'll live if you eat the fruit because you'll be like him. And he turns the whole thing around and deceives Adam and Eve. And in a really short span of time, a span of about 1,100 years, uh, everything has gone from all good, very good, to only one good. We find out in Genesis 6 that God looked out and he was sorry that he had made mankind. And it says that the thoughts and intents of the heart of man we're only evil all the time. Uh, there's a lot of evil in the world, but there's a lot of good too. Only evil all the time. It must have been really bad back then. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And uh, if you're familiar with the story of the flood, God decides to renew his creation through Noah. And the rainbow is a sign of God's promise that, hey, I've, I've, uh, I've switched to Mac. I'm not going to control all delete ever again. Uh, the rainbow is my, a sign of my promise. And I know, like, the light hits the prism and it, you know, reflects and all that. I'm not saying there's no scientific explanation. I'm saying God made the light, God made the prism, and that's his promise to us that he's, he's never going to start it over again. So at the end, we have a new beginning, the end of chapter one with Noah. Uh, God decides to reboot everything. And we have all the elements of a good story, right? We have good, we have evil, we have the dilemma between them. That's the story we all love because it's the story of humanity. And then chapter two, which is this week, covers an incredible amount of history. Uh, there's a primary figure named Abraham in chapter two. And from Noah all the way to Abraham is a span of about a thousand years. An entire millennium goes by. And you know what happens in that millennium? Almost nothing. 
Uh, the Tower of Babel is the only really significant event that tells the story of how humans began to disperse uh, throughout the planet. But for an entire millennium, really nothing happens. It's like a Seattle Mariners game in that way. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, but we get to this guy named Abraham. And so today, uh, there's, a, there's a ton of really interesting stuff that you'll have to read the chapter. But I just want to talk about Abraham for a moment. I would say, other than Jesus... Abraham might be the most prominent figure in the Bible. I don't know how you measure that, like how you quantify who's more prominent. You count words, I don't know. But, uh, but let's just say he's, he's a really big, big deal. Uh, Abraham's story covers 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, it's it's a, a really lengthy story. The Jewish people refer to Abraham as the father of their faith. Okay? All of their entire race, their entire belief system all goes back to Abraham. But it's even broader than that, because for us as Christians, actually, the roots of our faith go all the way back to Abraham. And in fact, even Islam goes all the way back to the story of Abraham's two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Um, So uh, really, the story of humanity goes all the way back to Abraham. I mean, it goes farther than that, right? It goes all the way back to Adam, obviously. But to say that Abraham might be one of the, you know, two or three most prominent people who's ever lived in the history of the world, that would not be a reach to say that. Uh, He's actually mentioned 75 times in the New Testament. Uh, You know, we can think sometimes, Abraham, that's way back there, Old Testament. I'm more into like cross, resurrection, salvation, eternal life. Give me some Jesus. Uh, Yes to that. Uh, but, But Abraham is mentioned 75 times in the New Testament. So if you want to know where we come from, it starts with Abraham. So uh, here's the deal. A thousand years between Noah and Abraham, entire millennium goes by, and then God decides that he's going to build a nation of people through whom salvation would come to the world. Okay, everything's gone wrong. Evil has entered. Uh, All that he made very good has been fractured. But remember back in Genesis 3 when sin entered the world, and God said that the woman's offspring would rise up and overcome Satan, the antagonist. Uh, kind, of, kind of an unusual picture. But really what God is doing right here is he's putting that plan into motion. At the high level, the overarching narrative in chapter 2 with Abraham, what we see is that God is building a nation. And that is step one of his plan to restore, to renew, to rebuild all things back to where they began when he said it's very good. That's where he's going. So this is step one. God decides to build a nation through Abraham. Uh, It's interesting, because if you remember the story of of Noah, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and it says that Noah was a righteous man who found favor in the eyes of God. Uh, God chose him because he was righteous, he was humble, he wanted to serve God. It actually doesn't say that about Abraham. Uh, It doesn't say anything like that about Abraham. In fact, Abraham's family was loaded. They were wealthy and influential because they were idol makers. Uh, Abraham was like the opposite of Noah, not righteous. Uh, Not only was he an idol maker, but there's this other problem with Abraham and starting a nation through his family. And that is, he was, let's say, fairly well along in years. Uh, He was really, really old. He'd been alive a long time and so had his wife. Uh, And that wouldn't be a big deal except for one problem. They have no children. How are we going to build a nation from this family if they, have, if they have no children? So God says, I want to build a nation through whom the Savior will come. And the angels are like, yeah, that's a great idea. Because what else would they say when God has an idea? Of course it's good. 
So they're like, I just, this isn't in the Bible, by the way. I just, I look down and I, I just envision them like looking down and being like, yeah, that couple over there, the young couple with the SUV and the ski boat behind it and the three kids in the back seat. Let's start with them. People are definitely going to follow them. And God's like, no, I'm thinking like the beige sedan that's pulling in a golden corral over there, going 24 in the 35, seatbelt hanging out the door. Uh, I think I'm going to go with them. If you have a beige sedan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with that. I actually drive a beige car. Um, <laughs> But Abraham and Sarah are not like, uh, you know, like rise up, let's follow them. They're not the cool kids, okay? They're, they're not the people who have like 12 million followers on social media. Uh, in fact, the Bible actually says, uh, don't get mad at me for this, this is God's words. It says that at the time that God chose them, their bodies were, and I quote, as good as dead. I don't exactly know, like... How old that is, like when you cross the threshold, if there's like a number that goes with that, I just know like they're on the clock, okay? They're, they're, they're past their like prime, let's rise up and start a nation years. That's, that's where they're at. Um, but it makes sense that God would choose them, right? Because if he chooses the other couple who has everything going, for them people are going to be like, yeah, of course we're going to follow them. They're awesome. But if he chooses Abraham and Sarah, people are going to be like, whoa, that's amazing. That's a miracle. Uh, not to mention that they're idol worshipers. I don't know if I mentioned that part, but uh, that part's kind of out there too. Uh, so there's one thing I find really interesting about that though. Uh, sometimes we feel like, I don't know if God could really use me. You ever feel like you're kind of a mess? Or maybe like I'm sort of ignorant about spiritual things. I don't know, or at least compared to that person, like they're super righteous. They, you should go ask them. They're wise, like their life's all together. Uh, nobody gets to say that because Abraham. Abraham was as far away from being uh, an actual follower of God as he could possibly have been. What we see over time is that God doesn't ever use perfect people because there aren't any. Um, And so if you're thinking, I'm just like, I'm not good enough for God to use me, um, well, you're wrong. None of us are good enough for God to want us to use us on the basis of that, but he chooses us. He can overcome that. So if you're feeling like you're too flawed to be useful, um, knock it off. Stop feeling that way. Uh, the other day, I was just like, uh, Brandy and I were talking, and I, I was just telling her, like, I, I'm just like struggling with this. I feel like, you know, I'm just a mess in this area. And she said to me, she's super like nurturing. She said, you need to stop thinking that. It's not true. Stop thinking that. Uh, and you know what? It was really helpful. I've told this story before about how the most useful thing that my pastoral mentor ever said to me was get over it. Okay, so if you're feeling like God can't use you because you're too much of a mess, God can't turn this around and do something great with my life, get over that. That's not true. Knock it off. Okay, a little tough love right there. That felt good. Don't tell God what he can't do. On page 13 in the story, which it happens to be Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this is what it said. God comes to Abraham and it says, the Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram, I call a time out there. Later on, God changes his name to Abraham as a sign of their promise. We're not going to get to that today, uh, but just know that those are the same person. Uh, The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's house to the land I will show you. Uh, Those instructions are pretty vague, right? I want you to just like uproot from where you live and your job and your family and your country and just start walking. And when you're there, I'll let you know. Uh, Those are probably a little bit vague uh, instructions for most of us. Abraham's just a guy. He's just going through life. He's having some success in his career. Um, but because he's, uh, he's getting a little bit older, one thing that happens as we get older, I'm old enough to know this now, is that you start to get in touch with your own mortality. Uh, Abraham knows he's not going to live 
forever. And he doesn't have the option of like distracting himself from life's harsh realities by doing something virtuous like passing on the family fortune. He doesn't have that right in front of him. I, I have lived long enough, and I think a lot of you will get this, and if you don't yet, you will when the time comes. Um, if you were to categorize everything in your life into two groups, like things that matter and things that don't matter, as you get older, the line between the two, doesn't that get a little more clear? Like, I've found that uh, this group over here of things that matter, like, I, every day it's like I'm just kicking something out of this group over, into the, over to the other one. Like, things that I'm not going to worry about anymore. Uh, Abraham's got to be at this point. He has to be aware of the fact that everything he's accomplished and everything he's acquired, it's not going to save him from his own mortality. And then God gets his attention with these words in Genesis 12, verse 2. This is what God said to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Come on, that's good stuff right there. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. That's got to be intriguing to somebody in Abraham's, in Abraham's position. Because one of the things that happens as we get older, you know, when we're younger, we're sort of building for success, trying to achieve but then at some point, it's like the switch flips, and it becomes more about significance than just success. Abraham's on the significant side, surely, at this point in his life. And so God begins with the most unlikely of people to build a nation. And what Abraham does that's absolutely absurd is God says, just start going, and I'll tell you when you're there, and he does it. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, Sarai, whose name is later changed to Sarah, uh, they pack up. Uh, he even convinces his nephew Lot to come. So them and all their servants, Lot's family, uh, all the people who work for them, all their livestock, they gather it all up and they just head out. Just off they go. And if you, you read on page 14, it, it actually inserts some of the New Testament account of Abraham's journey. And so the language and the style kind of changes right there for a few paragraphs. But it tells us that they came to a certain land and uh, eventually their, their group had grown and the land couldn't support both Abraham's side of the family and all his flocks and Lot's side of the family and all his flocks. So they, they split up and Lot and his family actually end up in like a war zone and they have all kinds of turmoil and Abraham and his crew, they have to come and save them. It's all kinds of drama and wild stuff that happens right there. But through all of that, through all the difficulties and the danger and the wandering and just trusting God to take them where he's taking them, one thing remained Abraham's primary topic of conversation with God. Uh, more so than like, hey, where are we going to get food? Hey, where are we going? Not that. One thing remained his primary topic of conversation, and that was, I have no son, God. I have no heir. How are you going to build a nation from my family if I don't have a family? That seems like a pretty obvious objection. Uh, him and his wife, Sarah, are past childbearing years. How can God make them into a fruitful nation? And this is where the part of this, where Abraham's story really gets down to ground level, okay? Where it really gets down to where you live and where I live and the things that we wrestle with every day. On page 15 in the story, it's Genesis 15, verse 2. It says, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's got to be a really difficult uh, sort of attention for Abraham. Looking up at all those stars, I'm going to have that many descendants? I don't see it. There's no way he could have seen that. But here's what you need to know about life with God. Okay, this is at ground level. This is right here today, the things that you're trusting God for. One of the things you have to know is that God can see things you can't see. It's just a fact of the matter. Tomorrow, he's already there. Ten years from now, he's already there. Whatever it is that you need, he's already got it. He can see things that you can't see, and he can make things happen that you cannot make happen. We got to just get comfortable with that reality. If he's God, he knows things I don't know. I mean, that's hard to believe, I know, but uh, God knows things you don't know. He can do things you can't do. Uh, Abraham had to just get comfortable with that. Okay, so let me ask this question just to like understand the picture. What happens if you walk outside your house at night and you look up at the stars on a clear night? What happens? Now, it depends where you live. Uh, depends on, you know, if it's, if it's a clear night and you live in Beijing, it probably looks pretty much the same as a cloudy night. Uh, but in Spokane, if you walk out there, you can probably see like hundreds of stars. Or if you live on the outskirts of town, you can probably even see thousands of stars. Uh, if you live out in the country, you can probably see four, five, six thousand stars. Scientists estimate that there are about six thousand stars visible to the naked eye. Uh, if, you're, if you were outside the city lights, you can see somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6,000 stars. And so God takes Abraham out there and uh, he tells him, look up at the stars. So shall your, your descendants be. And he's talking to Abraham about what Abraham can see. They're going to be like the stars, but what does God know that Abraham doesn't know? He knows something that we're finding out now in the age of technology is that beyond those 6,000 stars, there's actually billions of stars. There's an unknowable number of stars beyond those 6,000. Abraham has no idea about that, but God can see things he can't see, and he knows things that he can't know. So like here at Center Church, we're, uh, it's been seven years since we moved back to Spokane to start Center Church. We, we quit jobs that paid like actual currency, like we could take it to the bank and pay our bills with it. That was awesome. Uh, we came here and had none of that. Uh, we were just trusting that God could see things that we couldn't see. And seven years ago, there was no there was no uh, school for us to gather at. There was no building up on the South Hill that we sold recently. Uh, there was nothing. I remember like uh, thinking, okay, I'm a pastor, but literally I'm the only one who's part of my church. I'm the only person. Like, do I, does that still constitute a pastor? It's a good thing I had a piece of paper that said I was a pastor. Uh, otherwise, I would have lost my mind really early on. But today we're going to celebrate our sixth birthday since we actually started having uh, week-to-week gatherings and getting together on a regular basis. Um, and everything about Center Church is exactly 100% more than it was seven years ago when we first came back to trust God to make this happen. And right now we might think to ourselves, man, wouldn't it be awesome if like 25 people just gave their life to Christ for the first time this year? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? Or uh, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we had to find a, a bigger school to meet at? Or uh, wouldn't it be awesome if we had to start like 10 new community groups this year? Or wouldn't it be awesome if we could plant a second campus in another school so that we can help more people know Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? But maybe God's looking down at us like he looked at Abraham and thought, you have no idea. Did it ever occur to you that maybe I wanted you to have a church in like 100 schools? Who knows what God's thinking? Maybe, maybe God's like, you know what? Actually, I want to call... 10,000 people to know me this year, and I want you to be a part of it, but uh, 25 is all you can see right now. Maybe God's doing things like that 
right here in your life. Like, maybe you're thinking, you know, I just want to, like, get my financial situation under control so that I can, like, have some stability and pay my bills. And maybe God's like, actually, I just want to, like, dump it out on you so that you can share it with all the people around you. Maybe God's looking at you thinking, I know that you want to, like, survive the day at your school and get through and, like, public school and drama. Like, I get that. It's all tough. But maybe I want you to rise up and be a leader. God could see things that Abraham couldn't see. He can always see more than you can see. And what we have to do is be faithful to what we can see and know that he can see the whole picture. That's how the life of faith works. Abraham's entire journey, as you read the story, you'll see, God bless you, Garrett, is a, is a journey of faith. That's what Abraham's story is all about. The promise God makes to Abraham comes through an incredible amount of faith. And this is what faith looks like, okay? Just, just in terms of touching it and putting it to work in your life. It's, uh, if you think of it as three components. The first one is uh, to know and believe that God can see more than I can see. He knows things that I don't know. So I'm going to do the second part, which is I'm going to be obedient with what he has shown me. I'm going to be obedient to what God has shown me. And the third part is I'm going to trust him for the rest. Uh, to just know that he sees more than I can see, to be obedient with what he has shown me, and to trust him for the rest. This is the life of faith, and this is Abraham's call. And when you see it in action, when you read through the story, you'll be like, oh my gosh, this guy was either crazy or he was convinced. Uh, but spoiler alert, the story ends well. He was convinced. Uh, Tiana, I'm about to go off the grid on you. I will just let you know where I'm at if I come back. Uh, Abraham's journey, by the way, thank you for being here to click the slides. You are awesome. Uh, Abraham's journey is really a journey of faith. Like fundamentally, underneath all of the like decision-making, it really is a journey of faith. Do I trust God? And there's a lot more to it. Uh, if you read the story, you'll see his interaction uh, with his son Isaac, and then who had a son named Jacob, and later God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which is where uh, the Jewish people get their name. The modern nation state of Israel is named after uh, Abraham's grandson. Uh, he eventually has a son named Joseph, which is probably my favorite like narrative story in the Bible. That's next week. Uh, the band is working on something awesome for us. Please be here for that. That's going to be so great. I love the story of Joseph. But God calls Abraham from this point forward to make some significant changes, some big leaps of faith. And Abraham rises to the challenge. Uh, doesn't that, looking back at your life and examining the times God called me to rise up and I actually did it, doesn't that feel good? not feel like, you know what, that was the time that I grew. That was the time that God did incredible things. And there's this line in scripture that's repeated in several places, actually even all the way to almost the very end of the New Testament. You see it over and over about Abraham. And this is slide number 16, Tiana. This is what it says. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, just think about the components of that. Okay, what's the point of like trying to be good and behave, right? Most of us are working toward trying to be righteous, be a good person. Uh, righteousness means rightness. Okay, that's, that's literally what the word means. It says that Abraham believed God, not that he did anything, he believed God and God credited that to him as righteousness. He was considered righteous because he believed God. And God builds his entire people, which would uh, eventually be the conduit for the savior of the world on the basis of Abraham's faith. Now, how do we go out and apply that? I think that's relatively self-explanatory. I would just say uh, it's less about trying to be justified and just being justified. It's less about trying to do all the right things 
and trusting that God has already done the right thing for you. Uh, Grace is only amazing because it's free, uh, because it's a gift. It's the only thing that will actually inspire you to do the right thing is is knowing that God has already made you right. You don't have to earn it. It's already secure in Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. So try as hard as we might, behaviorally, it's actually impossible without faith. So right here, ground level at our level, the lesson that we learn from Abraham is about faith and it's about trusting God when we can't see the full picture. And uh, I just made a couple observations uh, from the life of Abraham. The first, the first one is that faith sometimes feels blind. It often feels blind. Like we, we can't see. God's only giving me enough to just take one step, but I have no idea what's past that step. Romans 4 says that Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Uh, not necessarily that he could like see it in action. He was just persuaded that God had the power to do it. Hebrews 11.1, 1, familiar verse to a lot of you, it says, now faith is assurance of the things that we hope for and the conviction of things not seen. Some people might say that having a blind faith is just wishful thinking, and that would be true except for one thing. God has actually told us in the scripture beforehand that, that faith is a requisite. Um, it's not just like uh, an accessory or a benefit to your relationship with him. It's actually a requisite. So it's not, fa- it's not blind. It's actually following the instruction that God has given us beforehand. It would be wishful thinking if we were just doing it to pacify ourselves, just hoping God's going to come through. But the Bible is actually abundantly clear that walking with God requires faith. Uh, that's not always easy, um, but if we could see it, we'd probably go our own way. We wouldn't feel like we needed God. The second thing I, I observed, the, the other one, is that faith actually makes us into a blessing. Not only are we blessed by it, but it, it turns us into a blessing. God is creating a nation from Abraham, not for himself, but for the blessing of all other nations. Remember, God's original promise to Abraham was that all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. You and I are the recipients of that blessing. That has filtered down from generation to generation to us, but we're also the conduit for that blessing to move on into other people's lives. If you're going to live a life of faith in God, the people around you are going to be blessed by that. Uh, so here's what I'd love to do. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come up. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take uh, a moment and we're just going to respond to the fact that God is already working for our benefit. He's just asking us uh, to trust it, to trust in it. Uh, Abraham's story of faith uh, evolves a little thing that I'll just, I'll call it momentum. It's not actually the same thing, uh, but it, it kind of looks, uh, it looks like what we might consider to be momentum. So uh, Riley, can you stand up for just a second? I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of like yes or no questions, easy ones, right? Uh, do you or do you not play on a high school golf team? Uh, yeah, he does. Okay. So Riley's a really good golfer. Um, I've played with him. He can probably crush me every time now. That wasn't always the case, but uh, Riley, are there times when you're playing golf when like it's just going really well and you just feel like I'm crushing it right now, right? Does that happen sometimes? Uh, are there times when it feels like no matter what I do, I just can't seem to hit a good shot right now? Yeah. So there's times when you feel like I'm unstoppable. I'm the best golfer in the world. And there's other times when you feel like it looks like I've never played golf in my life. I'm terrible. Right? You get you both ends of that spectrum. Um, is it true that you're the greatest golfer in the world? Is it literally actually true? Okay, that's not true, but sometimes it feels that way. 
Is it actually true that you're the worst golfer in the world? It's not actually true, right? But what happens, tell me if I'm wrong, is that if you just keep going, eventually it returns back to the middle and you turn into Riley again. Is that true? Thank you, Riley, you nailed that. Way to go, buddy. This is how momentum works. Riley's not the greatest golfer ever, although he's pretty good and he might be someday. Uh, I wouldn't put that past him, uh, but he's not the worst golfer ever either. None of those things are true, but by letting it breathe, it returns back to the middle. Things return back to the middle. Trusting in God to see you through any situation is very much the same way. Uh, you know how you get emotional, you get panicked and you start trying to like fix everything? If you stay in faith, if you stay in hope, if you stay in prayer, he's gonna bring resolution at the right time and things will return back to the middle. Abraham's story reminds us that God makes good on his word. When we just stay steady in our faith and our trust, he's faithful to fulfill his promises. So I'm gonna ask you if you would stand up for me. Uh, we're, gonna, we're just gonna sing together just for a couple minutes here before we go. I wanna encourage you, let it be your expression of faith. Uh, the good news is no matter how loud you sing, it's still gonna sound like Jessica, so go after it. Sing it out. God, thank you that you are working for our benefit and, and the story that you began back with Abraham is actually still in motion. You're still working reconciliation and renewal. You're still in the process of bringing all things back to the state of where they were once when they were very good. And we'll get to that story about 29 weeks from now at the end and we'll see what you're up to so that we can look ahead to the future. But right now, God, I pray you'd help us deal with what's right in front of us by trusting in you. In Jesus' name. Drill down on this verse with me before we go. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing will be able to separate you from God's love. Like, we have conditions on our relationships. Um, that's not true with God. It's a done deal. Jesus paid the bill in full and it's settled. So you can go in faith. So you can know that he sees things you can't see. God, would you more than anything else today convince us that we are secure in your love and in your care. That we, we don't even have the capacity to make a decision about whether or not you're going to love us. You love us. And that's a done deal. So God, I pray that you would help us to walk out the doors today when we go like people who are children of God. Like people who know my father owns everything. My father can control everything. My father is working for me. I pray that we would walk out with assurance of that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do one different thing. That we